morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? Well, um, let's just grab a hand and we'll just pray this morning. This is for the single people. I'm not the prayer, just the grabbing of hands. We'll just bring up the energy in here a little bit. It may not be anointing, it may be hormonal, but at least it's energy, right? So, Holy Spirit, we just thank you for what you're doing this morning, and we thank you for awakening our souls this morning. We pray, God, that you would inspire us, that you would, uh, that you would give us, that you would release impartation to us, that, Lord, that you would give us vision, that you would give us uh, a sense of uh, destiny and purpose as we interact today. Amen. I've been um, doing a series for probably, I guess, uh, it's been nearly two months I don't preach every Sunday, so um, probably missed a couple of three Sundays, two or three Sundays in there. But um, I've been doing a series on um, on the prophets, on the role of the prophet in in the church. And you know, Jesus said, if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, then you receive a prophet's reward. And so, if you receive a prophet in a in the name of a righteous man, then you receive a righteous man's reward. How many know the value that you place on the word determines the value you receive from it, the power you receive from the word? And so um, i just been talking, we've just been spending several weeks just talking about how God's raising up not just prophets but a prophetic generation and what our responsibility is as a prophetic generation. And uh, last week I talked about um, God just raising up uh, um, prophetic people that would speak to dry bones and that would cause a mighty army to arise. And um, this morning, I, I want to talk to you about the days of Daniel. And so, uh, actually, I was, uh, we, we drove home. We spent most of the day on the road yesterday. We went to San Jose and spoke uh, one day there. And, and I've been writing a book called The School of the Prophets. And um, I don't know, are any of you like this? If someone gives you 30 days to do a project, are you kind of like the last day? <laughs> yeah, in the last days, he will finish the project. You know, that's, that's how I am. I don't, no, yeah. so I, I signed a contract for a book, and I had plenty of time, and they gave me, I, I mean, I set the date when I would finish it, and they, they started all the marketing ahead of time, so it's kind of like, you have to finish it at this time, because they already pre-start marketing the book, and so um, anyway, a month before the book was due, after nine months of <laughs> procrastinating, I wasn't procrastinating, I was contemplating. <laughs> I was contemplating. You guys understand? You, you can't just rush right into these things. So now I have been um, locked into, in my house and into a hotel room for days, literally nearly two, almost three weeks, uh, riding day and night. And so, um, yeah, it's not as fun. It's not as inspiring. You know, and somebody said, uh, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the mottos of riding is, if it doesn't inspire you, it won't inspire them. That's pretty hard, like, about the 11th hour to be, you know, inspired when you're staring at a screen for 11 hours, like, okay, I hope someone likes this. Maybe my mama will like this, you know. Your mama always likes everything you do, you know. I've said this many times, but, you know, you could be a drug addict and your mom's all, he's studying to be a pharmacist, you know. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, we were coming home last night, and, uh, and uh, I was, I knew I was sharing this morning, but I didn't know. Well, when I went to bed last night, what I was going to talk about. Um, but then I had a dream, 
And in a dream, I heard, I kept hearing over and over the days of Daniel. So, well, that's a good place to start, you know. So why don't you turn to Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to just kind of continue the series. We're going to continue the series on the prophets by talking about Daniel and um, obviously a prophet to Babylon. In case uh, some of you don't know the story of Daniel, um, uh, maybe it might help to have a little background. So Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. Um, The Israelites, as as their pattern, they, they... walk away from God, they start serving other gods, and this is, you know, definitely Old Testament, and so God actually said, actually inspires the king of Babylon, who's, Neb- who's Nebuchadnezzar, to go in and they destroy the temple, uh, that, you know, the, the temple of Solomon, they take, they, um, take the na- nation captive, you know, kill thousands of people, and they carry most of the Israelites that are alive, they put them in POW camps, and um, Daniel happens to be one of the young men who's part of the royal Israeli family, and so the book opens with uh, Nebuchadnezzar um, has just destroyed Babylon. You don't hear that part in in the in the book of Daniel. Um, It's the story of uh, actually Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's actually the story of of four guys, four Israeli guys, who um, get carried away into, the, into POW camps. And the king, um, being a little crazy but pretty intelligent, says, you know, find me some of the guys that used to serve in the royal palace in Israel. Find me some wise young people who used to serve in the royal palace in Israel and let them enter into our service. Let them serve me. And so that's how the book opens and um, uh, let's just read a little bit of it. I'm sorry, there's names in here I won't get right, and I'll just fake it. And you just fake like I got it right, and, um, and we'll just keep going. So a lot of you people, um, they edit me all the time on Facebook. They're like, you should have had a comma there, and I'm like, whatever, you know, whatever. That's what we pay editors for. So um, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, are you there? The third year of the reign of Jehoiada, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave the king of Judah into his hand, along with many of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them into the land of Shemar and, and brought him into the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the, of, into the treasury of his God. And then the king ordered... Ash, whatever, the the chief of the officials to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles, and the youth who was in in whom had no defect, and who were good looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, and endowed with understanding and discernment and knowledge, who had the ability for serving in the king's court, and he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily ration of the king's choice food and wine which he drank. And he appointed for them to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they entered the king's personal service. Now there were among them the sons of Judah, Daniel, and we'll just say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. (laughs) That'll make it easy. Um, I I wanted to stop for uh, a moment and and tell you, I've been having some experiences in the last um, year most of which I haven't told many people about. Um, 
but uh, a, a lot of them are coming from this book of Daniel. I have felt like, you know, when, you're, um, when you have a child, you know, when your child is an infant, you know, when it's a, when it's a fetus now in the womb, you can at one point, at some point, have a sonogram and tell if that child is, uh, you know, a male or female. But you don't really know what it looks like. And sometimes I feel like we're trying to describe a move of God with a sonogram. And, 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 and this is, if you can follow my metaphor, I feel like, you know, 16 years ago, 17, 18 years ago, and I'm talking about Bethel right now, not this global move, which is, you know, a million times bigger than Bethel. But 16 years ago, it felt like we had a baby. You know, we actually gave birth to this baby. And, and you know, we, it, it's a toddler. And, you know, toddlers, you know, the, the, you, there's some distinctions. You maybe uh, eye color, skin color, you have some idea of what they're going to be like. But we, we all know that, you know, sometimes children that are, that are little when I mean, that are, sh- you know, short, that they hit a growing streak and they become tall. And, you know, they're, they're, the, their features change. And usually by the time your children get to be, you know, 14, 15, 16, there's some features that you kind of begin to think, well, when this child's an adult, these features are going to stay with them. And we all, you know, all of us that are older, you know, we can, we, we look back at our, at our uh, high school pictures or, or we go to our high school reunion, and even though it's 10, 20, 30 years later, we can recognize the people we went to high school with because there are features that even though they morph, they don't completely change. Are you, are you kind of getting where I'm going? And I, and I feel like, um, you know, there are so many dimensions to this movement. And right now I'm talking about the prophetic part of this movement. There are so many dimensions to this movement. And there's, you know, I, I shared um, over a couple of weeks about the uh, six or seven different, uh, if you will, different uh, prophetic DNAs that were in the Old Testament, like we had Daniel and Joseph, who were um, they served kings and they 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 actually gave wisdom to kings on how to run the country. We have Nathan and Gad, who served King David, but had no wisdom for governing, but had a personal relationship with the king and actually helped, if you will, help mentor the king in his personal life. Uh, we have uh, Elijah and Elisha, for instance, who basically, uh, with a couple of exceptions, basically had no relationship with the king, but they kind of chucked rocks at the palace wall and, you know, called fire down on, uh, you know, killed false prophets and, you know, didn't like Ahab and Jezebel. And they basically had an adversarial relationship with the king. And they were protesters, if you will. They were, they were prophetic protesters. And we had um, Amos and, um, and Hosea, um, and those guys didn't have a relationship with the king at all. They were, if you will, like uh, the Jesus movement. They were a grassroots, prophets to a grassroots movement who mostly prophesied to the people. Um, we had uh, Jonah, who was a prophet to Nineveh. You remember that story? Uh, he, he didn't even like being a prophet, actually. Didn't want to be a prophet to, to anybody, especially to people who didn't know God. And I, I love the conversation between Jonah and God and God, you know, this again, this Old Testament God says, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them, you know, if they don't repent, that I'm going to kill them all. And Jonah's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not doing that because I know it's going to happen. They're going to repent, and then you're going to be kind to them, and I'm going to look stupid. And, you know, 
the whole thing got fishy from there. And, and God, you know, that's where the whole yellow submarine came from. Anyway, that's a stupid joke. But the point is that Jonah was a prophet to the unsaved. He was a prophet to the Gentiles. And anyway, I, all I'm, all I'm, the only place I'm going with all of that is that we just look at the Old Testament and we see that it took different kinds of prophets to influence the, the world, if you will, towards God. It took people that had relationships with the king. It, had, look, it took people who were outside of the palace. It took people who could actually mentor a king. It took people who could give wisdom to kings. It took actually people who, some of the prophets were actually kings. Like King David was actually a prophet. And we wouldn't call Abraham a prophet, I mean a, a king, but he was a leader of a country, a founder, founding father of a country, and he was actually a prophet, the Bible says. And so we see prophets that actually were heads of countries, not just the number two person or a counselor. And, I, and so I have... For the last um, couple of years especially, I, I've been thinking about, you know, where, where our role is. Not that that's the only roles you could have, but where our role is. Because how many of you understand that if you're Elijah and Elisha and you're chucking rocks at the king, you're probably not going to get an opportunity to influence the king. You know, the king's probably not going to come in and say, what do you think we should do here, you know? Um, and so I, I've been thinking about, you know, where do we fit because... Um, though most of people don't, most of you don't, wouldn't know my history as far as, uh, wouldn't know me in my early days uh, being in Weaverville, but I was very much, I would say that I was very much an Elijah. I was, you know, uh, counterculture, anti-whatever, <laughs> wanted to fight with everybody. Uh, I led the, um, the, uh, you know, when Planned Parenthood came into our community, I, I led the pro-life movement. And, and, you know, I had a sign at a service station and two, two repair shops at the time. And I used to have this sign that you could change the letters. And on one side of, my, of the sign, this great big sign, it was like, it was four feet wide and eight feet high. It said, Planned Parenthood, go home. And on the other side, it said, abortion is murder. You know, I was like, that was my deal. I was like, and people would write me letters all the time like live and let live and, you know, I was definitely a guy who, I was a protester. I was chucking rocks at the palace. And, and um, you know, when we got here, I felt like, uh, you know, I, 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 the Lord just began to talk to me about shifting identities, a shifting identity. And he began to talk to me about the fact that he wanted me to move from being an eagle to an owl. And uh, I, I, I shared probably a couple years about that. Put it in a couple of books. That, that, God, that God had, he was doing something in me. It wasn't like that was wrong and this was right. It was a shifting season. Are, am I making any sense to you? It was a shifting season. And when the Lord began to tell me, I want you to move from an eagle to an owl, I asked the Lord, what does that mean? And he said, I want you to be able to see in the darkness. I, I want to, and, and I, this is what I spoke on last two weeks ago. I want, to, I want you to be like the woman who took a little bit of yeast and kneaded it into the dough and caused the whole community to rise. He, you know, the Lord said, how could I explain to you the king? How could I what is the kingdom of God like? And he said, it's like a woman who took a little bit of yeast and put it in the dough, and he made the, and it, all the dough rose. And, and I, I feel like, and, and I, I began to see, 
if you will, a different side of God. How many know there's, a lot, there's lots of sides to God? Uh, I'm not saying there isn't wrong and right. I don't, I don't mean that there isn't a way to see God that's wrong. But I, I mean, there are lots of right ways to see God. And, um, and, I, and I feel like the Lord said, listen, come, come over here, son. I want you to see me from another perspective. And I began to see God, if you will, from a completely different perspective. And what it inspired in me is a ton of compassion. It inspired in me a ton of compassion for people who I didn't agree with, which was totally, if you know me, my wife knows me well, is totally not my personality. Like, like if you knew me, you'd go, this has to be God because he's not like that. <laughs> I am very opinionated. I have no problem letting you know what my opinion is. And I don't have a problem that my opinion and your opinion divide us. That's my nature. But God said, that won't be, that's not my nature. I didn't know if you heard what I just said. God said, your nature won't be my nature. That's the nature that before you were born again. But my nature is to love people who don't deserve it and be with people who, who, who don't deserve it and to give grace to people who, who are still wicked and to rain on people on the righteous and the unrighteous. And, and, and he began to talk to me. You know, part of the challenge, and I'm sorry I'm just telling you my journey. None of this is planned, but whatever. Part of the struggle is that we were in Weaverville. You know, and I was, and God was inspiring me. You know, he was teaching me how to be a prophet in an isolated area. And I, I didn't have any feedback. And the only, the only people, I mean, most, you know, all but two prophets in the entire Bible are in the Old Testament. So when you're trying to model yourself after, you don't know anybody who's a prophet, and the only prophets that you, that you actually see in the Bible, or most of the prophets you see in the Bible, are all Old Testament guys. I mean, you got Agabus, you know, he gets like three lines in the New Testament. The only guy named, or, you know, in the Bible as a prophet, or at least uh, it, that demonstrated anything at least, you know. And so you're trying to find your way through this, and you're trying to say, what can I take from these from, you know, from 50 prophets in the Old Testament and apply to my life. And if, if, you're, if, you don't, if you don't culturize that to the new covenant, you end up with a very harsh kind of black and white thinking. Are you following me? And, and so, um, you know, uh, it was... And, and, and then the other side of that, and, and again, I'm just telling you my process, and maybe to help you with this message, uh, because this really is my message today. Uh, the other part of that is, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm yoked in those days and to this day, to a very grace-filled guy who doesn't think like that at all. You know, he's had five generations, he's a fifth-generation Christian, and he's a fifth-generation pastor, and he's had five generations to get sick of religion that controlled people and didn't like people who didn't agree with it. That's the guts the guy I grew up with. So here's Mr. First-generation, you know, black-and-white judgment, that guy deserves to be punished, Yoked to Mr. Grace, who's, who's sick of religion and doesn't want anything to do with controlling people. And so I'm trying to find navigate my call, the call on my life. Are, does that make sense? And it kind of helps you to know where I'm going today. And so, um, and so the Lord began to talk to me about, the fa- about looking at this child that's growing up, this child. Now, oh, this is a metaphor. Everybody's getting this as a metaphor. This part's a metaphor. And I'm looking at this prophetic child that's growing, that God has called us to be. Because I think there's 12 tribes in Israel. It's a great example. There's lots of colors, and God loves different, he loves varieties, my point. 
And, and so I'm looking at this child that's growing up in, in my house, in our house, if you will. And I'm like, what is this child going to look like when it becomes an adult? And I, and I begin to see that this child is not Elijah. It's not Elisha. It, it, it's, it's also, it, then it begins to look like, it might be like Nathan and Gad. It might be like somebody who builds relationships with kings, uh, metaphorically speaking, to help them personally. And as the child begins to grow, I begin to say, see that, that this child is, is not, it's not King David. Like, like, it's not the leader of countries. Like, it's not, it's not, if you'll notice, and here's just one manifestation. I'm just saying, this is like, our processing with you, like, like, you notice we've been, I've been here 16 years in Reading. Bill's been here 18. We don't, we haven't put one person in, in a political office, not one. I'm not saying we won't, and I'm not saying we never will, and I'm not saying we shouldn't. I'm simply saying it's not by accident that we're not trying to take over the community. It's not by accident that we're not trying to make this, you know, Mormon Utah. Even though we have the people to do it. It's not by accident. It's, I'm, I'm saying, like, God has proactively given us a role, and it's not that role. Although he's given other people that role. That's Utah Mormon doesn't work. Now, of course, I'm saying God has put other people, God has said to other tribes, that you'll be the rulers of nations, you'll be kings. And, and I'm like, I think that we are prophets to kings. And that we're not prophets like, Dan, like, like Nathan and Gad, in that we just, you know, help the king with his personal life. I think the Lord has caused us to have a governmental mantle where we are, where we are ministering to kings metaphorically speaking, leaders, influencers, and we're helping to guide the way they lead. Does that make sense? And so I, I very much, like, I am intrigued by the book of Daniel, and I feel like the Lord said to me, if you'll read the book, of, if, you'll, if you'll study the life of Daniel and the life of Joseph, you'll see what this child's going to look like as it grows up. Obviously, they're still living in the Old Covenant, so we have to, we have to culturize that, story, but the attitude and the principles still work for us. And so the first thing that I notice as I read the book of Daniel, especially this morning, is it says that the, that the king, he, in fact, let's just read it one more time here. Verse 4, he said, find some youths who have no defect, good looking, that's us, showing intelligence, we're working on it. In every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding, I don't know if we're getting there. But this part, who have the ability for serving in the king's court, and he ordered him, listen to this, this is the part I want to talk about first, to teach them the, the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. To teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. I was um, in another country, and I don't want to tell you where um, right now, it doesn't really matter anyway, but I was in another country uh, fairly recent, recently, and I was, um, I have been in this country a lot, and I've worked a lot in the, with the political realm and the business realm in this particular country. And, um, and this, I was there for almost a week, and the Lord said to me, actually, halfway through the week, I, I, it was a really odd week. It was like, I've been there many times, and I, you know, you guys know, I always have an opinion about pretty much everything, and I don't usually have any problem having something to say. But I went for a week, and I, I felt, I, I did, you know, I did a, a conference, and I shared 
um, we did a, um, a we did a leadership seminar for a hundred and fifty leaders, and, and that it was good. But um, I sat a lot in private meetings with leaders of of the nation, and I I just didn't feel like I had anything to say. And about the third day, I felt like the Lord said, "This is not a time for you to talk; it's a time for you to listen." He said, "Listen and learn." The ways of the Chaldeans. And here's what he said to me, and I didn't understand it at the time, but it, it's so, um, I'm so sorry, it so moved me, and I, it's so, um, I don't want to use, it's not the word confusion that I'm looking for. It's so, it's so, it so shook me inside, it's not the word I'm looking for, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I felt stirred. I, I didn't know what was happening to me. And I text Bill twice, which is not common for me when I'm in another country. I text Bill a long text, and I said, this is, what's, this is what I'm feeling. I don't know what it means. Can you please pray for me? And he texts back and said, I've been feeling the same thing. And so we text back and forth for a couple of days, just on and off. But, but this, is what, this is what the Lord said to me. To me. He said, I've not called you to be a... A father to nations. I've, be, I've called you to be father of nations. And, and I want to read you just what he said to me. I, I, I wrote it down. Uh, this may not be perfect, but this is what I wrote in my journal. I'm just reading you out of my journal. There's this distinct difference between being a prophet to nations and being a prophet of nations. Prophesying internationally and helping to be a voice to the nations is an important ministry. Becoming a prophet of nations requires it requires them to embrace you as a father and not view you as an outsider looking in. Simply put, you must become one of them. This requires you to understand their global perspectives, respect their view, and then help to prophetically shape them from the inside out. Abraham was not a father to nations. He was a father of nations. He was not a fatherly ambassador who God sent to many nations to represent him. Instead, he was a father of many nations. In other words, his spiritual ethnic origin would not be national, but global and at least multinational. God has not called us just to be a, just to be a prophet to nations. I understand now that he's called us to be a prophet, to be a prophet of the nations, of nations. We must become one of them so that we can lead in a fa- in, as a father, equip and protect them. Although I'm American and intensely patriotic, I must embrace the same sense of belonging to every nation in which God has called me to father. I cannot allow my American perspectives to undermine God's call in my life to be intensely loyal to other nations also. I must, however, navigate this with extreme wisdom so that my primary dedication and first responsibility is to my country of origin. My, my dedication to patriotism patriotism must not undermine my ability to understand the cultural perspectives and global insights of the nations that I'm fathering. I'm finding that these international sons and daughters have a very different outlook on America as a, a, on America's place in history. I'm also being persuaded that black and white thinking, there are good guys and bad guys, us and them perspectives, keeps us from understanding the root system of the way that other countries think and therefore behave. For example, the Russians do not necessarily view the KGB as bad people, although they understand that there was uh, many that they committed many atrocities. They don't view them, they, but they don't 
view them together as one people group and say they are all bad. Therefore, when a former KGB person runs for an office or holds a particular position in Russia, they, d- they wouldn't view them through the eyes of guilt by association. They would see them as being drafted into a duty for their country in a time of war or international opposition. In other words, the KGB, much like our American soldiers, felt like they did not have a choice to, uh, to accept, but to accept to serve their country. But because of some members of the KGB, I'm sorry, but because some members of the KGB committed atrocities, they are also scorned in countries like America. But these, but this is a two-way street, as other countries also scorn Americans for doing things like dropping atomic bombs on Japan and committing atrocities in Vietnam. In other words, from a global perspective, there are no good guys, and there are no bad guys. Although most would acknowledge that there are really that there are some bad people like Adolf Hitler, the war is much more. I'm sorry, the world is much more complicated and complex place than I ever imagined. It's very difficult to know what what's right from wrong when you view things from a multi-level, multinational perspective. I'm discovering that I'm in deep need for the Holy Spirit to lead me into all truth, without without which my perspectives are tainted by my prejudice and my dogmatic core values. This renders me ineffective as a father of nations. I want to just go back and just read this one part to you. The king ordered the official to bring some of the sons, including some of the royal family. How am I doing? Okay, I'll go a little bit longer. Including the royal family and the nobles, youth in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discernment and knowledge, who had the ability for serving the king's court. And listen to this. And he ordered them to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. I've read that verse a thousand times, probably. I love the book of Daniel. I've been reading it for 38 years. I never saw that verse in the same light. Like, they had to learn the language of Babylon to be prophets of nation, of the nation, and not just be a prophet to the nation. And um, it, it, I want to read you, Romans 4 says this about Abraham, a father of many nations I have made you, in the presence of whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. I, I feel like God's calling us to be a father of nations, that he's not just sent us to be an ambassador, a voice for him, he's actually sent us to be a part of nations in becoming a found, founding mothers and fathers that we would actually lay a foundation for how people think because we become a part of them. Like we're not outsiders looking in. It says that Jesus was counted among sinners. He didn't just go to sinners. He was counted among them. It says he was numbered among sinners. Do you, you, do you understand? Like he got in there and understood how they thought. He was helping them from the inside out. He didn't become a sinner to reach sinners in the sense that he sinned, but he came one of them in the sense that he hung out with them and understood the way they thought. 
it probably wasn't very hard because, he, because most likely Jesus was thought of as an illegitimate son in a days when illegitimacy was, was shamed. His mother was most likely thought of as, as somebody who was a fornicator. And so it probably wasn't very hard for Jesus to reach, to, reach out to women, especially women who were uh, um, I- I- immoral. You notice how many women break in three times. Immoral women break in to Jesus uh, into meetings that Jesus is in. Well, he's having dinner with Pharisees. Prostitutes break in, and they they you know they're being way too friendly. And Jesus doesn't have any problem with it. I'd like to suggest that that whole world he understood that world probably because of the way uh, because the way he was raised and because the way people would have would have saw Mary much different than we do it's kind of hard to say holy spirit came on me you know like you know it's pretty obvious that you know you got married here and you had a child 4 months later kind of easy to s- figure out and, and Joseph knows what's going on and he wants to put her away cuz he doesn't want to be blamed for being you know, it's like, hey, if this woman's immoral, don't include me in that. Okay, because immorality in those days wasn't like here where people have three children, they're not married, it's not a big deal. In those days, you were shamed, you were, if you will, you know, it, it, it kept them from being in the inner courts of the, of the temple, being invited into the congregation because of they had a child out of wedlock. Are you, am I making sense? And so it wasn't probably very hard for Jesus to relate to sinners because he's probably treated like one most of his life. At least by, you get the idea, religious world. And here's Daniel. He's growing up in the courts of the king. And, and the next thing it says about Daniel that, that really strikes me is he's in the courts of the king. The, courts, the, the, the king is training him. And I, I think this is really, um, it's intriguing that we have to learn how to culturize without we have to learn how to culturize without compromising our character. And this is very interesting in the book of Daniel. And here's why I say that. Daniel refuses to eat the king's food. As we'll, we don't need to read it. You can just know the story, right? He refuses to eat the king's food. He eats only vegetables, which is really, I don't know what that's about. But I, <laughs> Paul says later on that uh, those who are weak in faith, faith eat vegetables only. So... I didn't say it. It's Romans 14 if you want to read it. So it's in the Bible. So, but whatever. But Daniel's obviously not weak in faith. So there's the other side of the story. Here's what's interesting to me. Daniel won't eat the king's food. I mean, he refuses to eat the king's food. And, 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 it's, and it's like by the penalty of death, he refuses to eat the king's food. And there's something about it, moving. If we're going to move in... In places of influence, we have to learn how to manage our appetite. Are you with me? Proverbs puts it like this, and this is written by Solomon. He said, when you're invited into the courts of a king, and you sit at the table of a king, do not desire his delicacies. If you're a person of great appetite, put a knife to your throat, lest he deceive you. And so you, you can't, let's put it real practically. You're not going to get to minister to people in influence if the need to be, the need to be famous is on your life. Let's put it this way. If the need to be famous is on your life, you need to hold a knife to your throat. 
If you're hanging out with influencers so people will think you're important, you better put a knife to your throat because God's not going to let you influence influencers so that you can be famous. He's not, he doesn't care about you being famous, at least not on earth. And so, you know, you know people name drop all the time. They, they're like, oh, let's take a picture with Bill Johnson. And they put it on their, you know, it's their Facebook front page. You know, people do it to be, us all the time. Say, like, can I take a picture with you? And I'm like, okay. And then it's like, yeah, I, I know Chris Felton. I know Bill. I know, you know, whoever. You know, some people, somebody they think is, has some level of, of notoriety. And they want to, like, cozy up to those people so that people will think, well, you must be important because you took a picture with George Bush. You know, and it was in a photo shoot where 10,000 people took a photo with George Bush, you know. And, and so those, those you can't, Im- God's not going to let you influence people if you don't manage that thing in you that says, I need to be famous by association. I know so-and-so and so-and-so. I, I hang out with some of the guys in, in conferences. I, I love to see, you know, uh, especially we do prophetic conferences. We have other prophets and I love to exchange notes. What are they learning? and How are they uh, applying what they're learning? And, and there's one guy, he's, he's a very good friend of mine. Uh, and, and I really love him. And, and probably, I, I probably have the same issues of insecurity. But I'm with him 10 minutes. And in 10 minutes, at the first 10 minutes of every one of our meetings, er, I don't think there's ever been an exception. I, I've met him in the a- airport probably five times. And he tells me, who's invited him, where he's going, and all the famous people he knows. I'm like, this is the opening comments. Yeah, how's it going? Oh, yeah, I've just, you know, just been back from seeing so-and-so, and, you know, so-and-so endorsed my book, and da-da-da. I'm like, I just want to say I don't care. Like, I don't care. I have the same issues, you know. I have insecurities, too. I'm not trying to solve them by telling you the people I know. I don't know if you're going where I'm going. You, you, you're not going to influence kings if you have to eat the king's food. There has to be something in you that goes, I really want that food, and that's why I won't eat it. How many of you know you can't be tempted with something that you have no passion for? And temptation is not sin because Jesus was tempted in every way except without sin. Remember the temptation in the wilderness? He fasted for how many days? Forty. What day did the, the devil come to him? On the 40th day. When it says, and when he was hungry, the devil came to him. And what was the first temptation? Make these stones into what? Why? Because he's hungry. Listen, when you're hungry for significance, you have to put a knife to your throat. You have to manage your appetite. If you don't manage your appetite, God's not going to give you a place with influencers. I'm not saying you don't have an appetite. I'm saying manage it. I, I, I'll just be honest with you. I have a, such an incredible appetite for significance. I don't care for fame. I don't care about fame. I don't care about money. Money's not, I mean, I have money, but I, I can have it. I can have, not have it. It's not a passion. Like my wife will tell you, probably to a fault, I will not do things for money. And I don't care about being famous, but I do want to make a difference. I mean, it's an obsession. <laughs> I mean, I wake up thinking about how I can make a difference in the world. And I fear dying before I'm finished the race. I have 
It's not a fear of failure. It's a fear of not being as significant as God called me to be. I have a fear of it. I have to be careful. That's an appetite. I have to manage it. Are you with me? Like, you can't manage something that you don't admit you have. So I have to be careful and manage that thing, or it manages me. Whatever I don't proactively manage, manages me. So I have to make sure that that doesn't manage me. Otherwise, the only people I have time for are people who are significant, because that makes me feel significant. And pretty soon, the people that need me and love me, I, I don't have time for. Anyway. Daniel got to influence kings because he learned how to manage his character. Oh, I know what I was going to tell you. So, so Daniel won't eat the king's food. This is, this is the challenge. This is challenging. Like, I don't know how you work this out. He won't eat the king's food. Doesn't seem significant to me. Maybe it does to you. I'm thinking, I, you know, what, there isn't, he lives in the Old Testament. There's no law about, you know, as long as he doesn't eat in, in the Old Testament lobster, he's good. Right? I mean, he can't eat pig. He can't eat lobster. I mean, you know. But basically, he can pretty much eat stuff. And he chooses to not. But the interesting thing is, the king puts him in service, and he's not called a prophet anywhere in the Old Testament. He's called a magician. And not only is he a magician, he begins as a magician, but he ends up being called the chief of the magicians. And the king, get this, the king doesn't call him Daniel. The king calls him Belshazzar, which is the name of one of the king's gods, because the king... The king is a polytheist, meaning he believes in multiple gods. So the chief god, the king, the king, let's see. Nebuchadnezzar likes one god more than any other god, so he names Daniel the name of his favorite god. And the weird thing is, Daniel answers to it and doesn't correct him. Is this weird? I won't eat your food, but call me whatever you want. And put me on the psychic hotline. I don't know how you figure that out. It has to only be Holy Spirit. Because I would, I would eat the food and not let them call me that. Are you, does that make sense? Like, to me, I'm like, hey, if I'm, gonna, like, if I'm going to be righteous, I'm not going to let them think I'm a psychic, but I'll eat your food. Daniel's like, I won't eat your food, but call me a psychic. I'm good with that. In fact, I'll be in charge of all your psychics. In fact, you can name me the name of your God. And it isn't till the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel, and I, I'm, we'll read it at another time, but just for the sake of, because we just have 10 minutes, it isn't till the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar even knows that Daniel's serving one God and not multiple gods. Because when he has this dream, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of this large tree being cut down, and we're gonna, we'll talk about it in another session but here's the point, and he doesn't know what it means. He calls Daniel, and he says, O Belshazzar, in whom lives the spirit of all the gods. So to the fourth chapter, he still doesn't know that Daniel's serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And do you know how, <laughs> this is really funny, do you know how Nebuchadnezzar figures out that Daniel is only serving one God? 
It isn't through Daniel telling him. He has a nervous breakdown, becomes an animal. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob encounters him. Then he says, listen, if you don't serve the God of Daniel, the God of Daniel. That's the revelation. Did you get it? In seven years, he gets one revelation. There's only one God, and it's the God of Daniel. And oh, by the way, Daniel's only serving one God. And then he makes a decree, you know, like Constantine. If anyone doesn't serve the God of Daniel, you're going to die. So, you know, the king's still, you know, he's messed up, but he's trying. (laughs) You know, people like that, they're messed up, but they're trying. And what's amazing is God gives them credit for it. He doesn't go, hey, Neb, you know, time time out. You know, don't force people to serve me, you know. If they don't serve you, you know, he just has such a radical encounter. He's like, if you don't serve the God... And by the way, he doesn't even know his name. From then on, the king has a, has a God who's called the God of Daniel. Never names him. You know why? He doesn't know. And Daniel doesn't bother to tell him. But he won't eat the king's food. I don't even get this. This is weird. I, I, I'm saying we have to be careful when we see people serving kings who love God, and we go, why did they do that? And I'm not talking about sin, of course. I'm not talking about sin. Listen, there's, there, there is still, we, as, we, as, you know, as we widen this, and we go, hey, there's, being an owl looks like this. We have to be careful that it doesn't look like immorality, doesn't look like impurity, doesn't look like fornication, adultery, doesn't look like any of those things. Doesn't look like lying, cheating. Are you with me? I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it, it doesn't have any values. I'm just saying we have to be careful when God's called people into the, into the palace that they may be doing things that you don't think are okay, that I don't think are okay. And God goes, way to go. Don't eat the king's food. And they, and they, and they think, I am managing my character really well. And you don't, you're not in the palace, so you don't know. You don't know. And sometimes, I'll tell you, part of our challenges is that in denominationalism, we have guilty by association. If, just, for, just as an example, if President Obama was a great friend of mine, by the way, I've never met him, but if, he's a great, if he became a great friend of mine, a whole bunch of the body of Christ would have nothing to do with me. And they would assume, I'm saying, if he was a great friend of mine, they would assume that I have certain moral values concerning, um, certain moral stands concerning um, uh, homosexuality and probably morality and probably about abortion. They probably would assume, I would be guilty by association. And I'm trying to say, like, if we don't break that thing, first of all, we're not going to get invited to influence kings. And so light isn't going to be in places of darkness. And secondly, we got to give people the benefit of the doubt who we know love God. I have friends who are making their way into palaces. And and I can just tell you, this is the process I'm going through. I'm like, listen, you're a friend of theirs? I have ministered to people. I have to be really careful. But, you know, they are leaders of countries who... Don't have a good reputation. I'm not just talking about morality. Like, they've been known to be brutal and ruthless. And I'm in there prophesying good stuff to them. 
And thankfully, I never ask who they are till I leave. I'm like, oh my God. I just gave a good word to Hitler. I'm exaggerating. But, but my point is, is that these people, quote, they are not good people. And God's like, you're going to say this, this, and this. Now I give them those words, and I leave there, and I'm like, who was that guy? I just said, well, that's not, and he brutalized these people. and got ran out of his country, and da-da-da. I'm like, and I rethink the word I share with them. I'm like, I would have never shared that if I would have known this guy. And yet we have, we have Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Covenant. Remember, Old Covenant, totally different. God judged nations. God judged people. God killed people for sin. God told Joshua, go in, the, in, in, in and genocide everybody. Animals, people, kids, children, everybody. Kill everybody. In the middle of that covenant, God goes, I want you to beat Daniel. Be nice to Neb. Okay, I know he's building statues to him, but he doesn't mean it, you know. He's got a good heart. And Nebuchadnezzar's killing people. He's causing, he's making people bow down to him as a god. And underneath all that, listen, you don't know the heart of kings. Only God does. And God looks at Nebuchadnezzar and he goes, there's something good in him. This is an old covenant. This isn't, this isn't, I mean, do you understand how many, this is a hundred times more powerful than it would be today. And God goes, Daniel, I want you to serve him. By the way, I want you to help him. Help the guy who destroyed Israel and tore down the temple. I want you to help him. Don't prophesy bad stuff to him. You know what? Nebuchadnezzar gets two bad prophecies. And you know who gave it to him? He got it himself. (laughs) And both times, Daniel's like, oh, I wish this wasn't about you. How do you love people like that? I don't know, but until you do, you don't get a place with them. Until you honestly can love people who don't deserve it. Like, let's make the point. Don't deserve it. Like, when you're doing what I'm talking about, you'll be in the court of somebody's, whoever. I'm not saying it's a king. It can be, you know, an actor, actress, a producer, an educator, whatever. And they're teaching stuff you and I both are against. And God's like, I want you to help them. And if you're doing it right, you're going to be like, I don't get, no. <laughs> I'm not eating the king's food and he isn't calling me that name. And God's like, I'm going to put you in the palace. But I'm going to hide you. I'm going to hide you. I'm going to need you into society. They're going to think you're a magician. But really, you're a secret agent. You're God's secret service. God goes, I'm going to give you this name and I'm going to put you in there. And the whole nation's going to rise. They're going to rise and they're going to shine. And what armies, what the armies of Israel couldn't do in defending themselves against Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar made one strategic mistake. He allowed four boys to come into his kingdom. And by brick by brick, over 70 years, they dismantled Babylon. The Persian king came in. They dismantled (laughs) Persia. How'd they do it? Secret service. God's Navy SEALs. What great armies couldn't do, four prophets did. That's a good word right there. And what if... God wants to do it again. 
Some of you are in jobs, you're like, you know what, I hate my job. My boss is a, you know, he's a maniac. I'm like, wow, maybe that's right where you're supposed to be. I want to go to work for a Christian place. No, man, too many people doing that already. Just go find someone really evil and go work for them. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome to be proactively go, God, put me someplace evil. Put me someplace so corrupt. And then let me be a light. You know, when it, the darker it is, the brighter the light shines. Listen, you don't even have to get brighter if it gets darker. <laughs> You're just the only thing in, this, in the whole room reflecting. You know what's really dark? I turn on my little iPhone light, and that's how I find my way. I'm like, it's not very bright, but compared to the darkness, it's the only thing shining. Go iPhone. I am that I am. And I'd like to suggest that in this move of God, you might find yourself serving Nebuchadnezzar and being right where God wants you to be. And you might find out God goes, don't do that. And you're like, that doesn't seem like a big deal. And God goes, but it's okay to do this. And you're like, oh, no one would like me if they knew I was doing that. Again, I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about culture. Would you stand? Let me pray for you, please. What if God's called you to be a father of nations, not just a father to nations? What if he's called you to be a mother of nations and not just a mother to nations? What if he's actually called you to be a founding mother, a founding father? What if, you're, what if God is actually rebuilding the foundations that are built on apostles and prophets? What if God's rebuilding nations and he goes, I want, listen, I'm going to lift up this old house and I'm going to put a new foundation underneath it. Instead of tearing the house down, I'm going to lift it up and put a new foundation under it. And it happens to be you. I mean, it's possible. That God doesn't have to destroy things to lift them up and put new foundations underneath them. So, Lord, I just pray. Sorry, put your hand on your heart there. Say, I pledge allegiance now. <laughs> Lord, I just release right now mother and father hearts. Lord, I pray, Romans 4, that a hope against hope, Abraham believed, and so he became the father of many nations, and so shall his descendants be. What? The father of many nations. And Lord, I just pray right now that people would rise up in this place, that they would get inspired this morning, and they would, they would realize that they thought something was going wrong. They thought they were in the wrong place, but they're in the exact right place. And God, I pray that you'd show us what's vegetables. Yeah, it's a metaphor. You get it. What things were not, were, were to do? What things were to do? And God, what things are magicians? What things you go, that's just a title. Don't worry about it. Lord, and help us, Holy Spirit, to navigate these, these torrential rivers, these, these places that, of white water in a way that doesn't please other people but pleases you. And God, may we be like Daniel, who opened his windows three times a day and prayed towards Jerusalem the prophetic words that Jeremiah spoke over the nation. May we hang on to the words of the prophets in the midst of the white water of life. In the name of Jesus.
Amen. Thank you very much for listening.